0: This afternoon, we'll be reading Psalm 23, and then a portion in Luke 22, where the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper. So first, we read Psalm 23, the well-known and beloved Psalm of the Shepherd of Israel, David. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now we open in Luke chapter 22. We'll be reading verses 14 through 23. Here the good shepherd did come for his sheep, He's about to give His life for His own. And He institutes that which is with us to this very day, the Lord's Supper. Luke 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour was come, He sat down and the twelve apostles with Him. And He said unto them, With desire I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing. Amen. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his own word. And let us, sheep, speaking of its shepherd, of the trust that he will provide everything it needs. And then we have Luke 22, where the Lord Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Um, In our second point, we will be also looking at John chapter 5 and 6, where the Lord Jesus does that um, great miracle of feeding more than 5,000 people. And then He continues, in essence, with a sermon, where He declares Himself to be the bread of life. Well, we see in God's word that that feeding and Christ as bread is a picture that permeates all of scripture and that is what we hope to consider in our in our first point the picture of feeding and then secondly we're going to look at the promise of feeding and at that point we'll be looking also at lords day's 28 and 29 because what brings us to, to the whole theme of the Lord's Supper and feeding is that that's where we are in our Heidelberg Catechism as we look through it. And we will see that there are these promises that He would feed us, not only in the Lord's Supper, but even throughout Jesus' life. And, and as we will see in this first point, elements throughout all of the New, Old Testament even, Bringing realities that God would feed his people. And then, thirdly, we'll look at the fulfillment of feeding. How is it that you are fed by God? How are you fed by the Lord Jesus Christ? How is this feeding fulfilled into your heart? And how will it be fulfilled in all of time? And so, first of all, the picture of feeding, and then we'll look at the promise of feeding and the fulfillment of feeding. Well, what we hope to do in this first point is, is look, in a sense, throughout all of Scripture and, and just have this survey how true it is that this whole concept of feeding permeates all of God's Word. And it permeates all of your life. God chose a picture that every single human is acquainted with and familiar with. From, from a mother feeding her child... And how that is such a a marked picture in our minds. Um, And then a father going to the fields and producing a harvest. So that not only his family, but even the whole village and beyond can be fed with the whole reality from the spiritual perspective of God feeding his people. It began with creation. When Adam and Eve were created, there were two trees. One to be fed upon, but the other not. Um, One would be a symbol of God's justice and His sovereignty. The other one of His salvation and of His love. But then, all surrounding them in Eden, they had fruit-bearing tree, they had vegetables, they had berries, they had roots, and they had leaves that they could live upon. Adam and Eve were fully provided for. With the fall, feeding became um, impaired, you could say. In the very communication to Adam and Eve, now for them to have bread, there would be the sweat of their brow. And so feeding became difficult. There was a great challenge, but it was still essential. And then we find that moment where there is famine in the land and, and Joseph is used of God to feed the, the, the greatest nation of the day and the surrounding world. And even Jacob and his family comes to Egypt because there's bread for them through Joseph but it was through God and His goodness. And then when God delivers His people and they go into the wilderness, those 40 years that they are on their trek to the promised land, God provides for them water from the rock and manna from heaven. So for 40 years, God is feeding His people in this very direct way. And and, and it makes us understand every feeding is through God when it is through hunting or if it is through planting it is God who is feeding us then you find little moments in God's word that that are very um momentous that that are very um what's the word that 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 are that we don't forget um Elijah when there is that famine and God tells him to go by the brook cherish and he feeds Elijah through the raven who brings bread and meat By the brook Cherith for water, and the ravens bring the food. And then also Elijah, when he is fleeing from Jezebel, and he sleeps under that juniper tree, it is an angel that comes and feeds him with bread and water. So feeding becomes not just a picture but even in a very literal way, God providing for His people physically and spiritually. And just a little survey through the Psalms especially, it becomes, in a sense, how God's people would express their praise to God and thanking Him for feeding us, physically and spiritually. Um, so reading Psalm 104, verses 10 through 15 listen to these words he sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills they give drink to every beast of the field the wild asses quench their thirst by them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation which sing among the branches he watereth the hills from his chambers the earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine and bread which strengthens man's heart. See God feeding all the beasts of the field and also feeding humans. And then if we read Psalm 81, verse 10, we read, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. There God using the picture of feeding and saying, I, I will provide for you. And, and with the provision comes all the, the, the implications of what that means. That He will protect, that He will love, that He will carry us along. Psalm 36, 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. And with this verse, we we have this reality that even in how God instituted His worship, food would become an integral part of all that would happen. Because as they would bring their offerings... There would be the sin offerings and there would be the burnt offerings and nobody would eat out of those. It would be the whole mindset that this is where we're confessing our sin. This is through which we have reconciliation with God. But following those, there would be the peace offerings and the free will offerings. And out of all those offerings, there would be portions of food. And not only would parts of the animal be for the priests to partake of, and also parts would be given back to the offerer so that they could eat of, and there would be also the food offering, the grain, that would be part for the priest and part for the people. And the whole mindset, the whole picture was that part of it was on the altar and being offered to God, Part of it was for the priests and the Levites. Part of it was for the offer, So that God was, through those sacrifices, banqueting with His people. There would be a communion, a communion um, with God and with His people. And not only through the offerings, but there would be an element, a symbol of this communion inside the very tabernacle and later in the temple. In the tabernacle, remember, there would be the the candlesticks that would give light into the holy place. There would be the golden altar where they would put the incense and that would be symbolic of their prayers. But there would be the table. And the very table already speaks of food. And that's where the showbread was given. Now remember the element about the showbread is that it was the families in the camp, the families of Israel, that would bring the bread... That they would bake at home and they would give it as offerings, and then the priests would take that. Once a week, they would put that bread before the Lord, and then they would eat it. And as it was there before the Lord, it was symbolic of the Lord eating it. But then they would take it and they would eat it. And presumably, people at home who made that same kind of bread were also eating it. And so that bread was symbolic of the communion that they would have with God. So we see it all throughout Scripture in all of these psalms. And then we have it in all of these... Prophecies. Let me let me remind you of one more, Isaiah 40, that, that precious prophecy where God is telling his people before they actually would receive this comfort, he's telling his people that they could be comforted, and all because the Messiah was coming. And when the Messiah is described in Isaiah 40, verse 10, we read, Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. And so as soon as we see a picture of the Messiah, He's seen as a shepherd, and what does a shepherd do? He feeds His flock. And, and right there, the picture of, of, of eating and of being fed immediately and by necessity has these other emblems by it. It's not that just that you're fed but also that you're cared for and so that's why he adds that he gathers the lamb with his arm and carries them in his bosom and gently leads those that are with young. It all goes together with the feeding. He doesn't feed but treats them in a despising way. It's all a package. The feeding is really in a sense the most important part Because what good is it to carry them but not let them eat? But in the caring to have them eat, you also carry them and you care for them. And that's what God does to His people. And seeking after food became also expressive of our desire for God. And so we read Psalms like this, Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. So not only is God the one who provides for us and He cares for us, but there's a response from us where we desire Him and we want Him. We hunger after him. Psalm forty two one as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God, my so thirsteth for God for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, 1. O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee, my soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Implying, Lord, Thou art like water, Thou art like food, and I am hungry, I am thirsty. So you see, feeding has all of these connotations, not just that God provides, but that we desire and we want. And then this feeding becomes applied to the Word of God. The Word of God becomes a means by which we are satisfied. It is now as if the Word is bread and we consume it, we intake it, and we find even some... Moments where God speaks to the prophets and even tells them to, in their vision and in in their experience, to literally eat the word. Jeremiah in chapter fifteen sixteen um, is told to eat God's word. It says, "Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts." And then also, um, Ezekiel was told to eat the scroll. In chapter 3 of Ezekiel, verse 3, it says, And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Hence, we read in Psalm 19, verse 10, that the word of God is sweeter also than honey And the honeycomb. Now, boys and girls, of course, when when Jeremiah and Ezekiel were told to eat the parchments or the scrolls, it was it was in itself a picture. Not that we are to consume physical paper, of course, that will do nothing for us. But it was just showing how true it is that if we read God's word and let it come to our minds and to our hearts, that we will be fed with God Himself. And this is why also we read in God's Word, to let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. How can I make the Word that is outside come inside my heart? I I have to use the faculties of reading and of meditating and of studying the Word, and then it becomes in my heart. And so a picture of that coming in is by eating. And we find this picture also. So this this is the survey. See eating God's word seeing God as bread and as one who nurtures us and then we therefore desiring him permeates all throughout God's word and this is what Christ will pick on when he this is what he will be using when he speaks of himself as bread this this whole realm of of this picture of feeding and God as bread or food now what do we see in the picture of feeding? If we could single out the most specific things, if we think of feeding and we think of Christ as bread, us feeding upon Christ, Christ being bread to us, these are five things that we can think of. First of all, our weakness, our need. It's, it's that reality of our desire for God. Why, why do we yearn for Him? It's because we are hungry, or should be. That's, in a sense, that, that spells the problem of humanity. Every human is hungry, just not every human knows what they should satiate that hunger with. And we should acknowledge that our hunger is for God. And when you go to Christ to satisfy that hunger, you are fine. If you go outside of Christ, you're in trouble. You're in danger. You can even die. And that's why people are dying. Because they're not finding Christ as the bread of life. And they're seeking it in elsewhere and other things. So so the whole concept of feeding in bread really shows our weakness, our need, our our insufficiency in ourselves. When When we feed upon something, think of how we literally are saying this. You sit at a meal. There's food before you. For you to put that food into your body and system, you're literally saying... I am weak. I do not have how to, how to sustain myself by myself. I need this food to keep me alive. Food confesses our weakness. Secondly, when we think of feeding and we think of bread especially, we think of Christ's life-giving power. Of God's nurturing qualities. Like we said, God's love and care, His sustaining grace. We think of a shepherd providing for the sheep, and and the whole scenario comes before us. The shepherd protecting the sheep, the shepherd guiding the sheep. There's water, so the shepherd takes the sheep to that water. There's pasture, he takes the sheep to that pasture. There's danger, he will protect that sheep. Christ's life-giving power. Thirdly, it speaks of our faith, especially our feeding upon the bread who is Christ. You notice that there are all these dimensions. There's the bread. Here I am. So it speaks of my need. I need Him. There's the bread. It is Christ. He gives life. Now, for me to go to Christ and receive Him and eat of Him, that is faith. It is me trusting in the Lord Jesus. Now, Calvin makes an inference that it's not just that because um, there's Christ and my eating of Him is faith. Calvin insists on the fact that it's also the result of faith. You have to have faith even to reach out to Christ and say, I need you. And so the reaching is not just faith, it's also the result of faith. There has to be faith so that you even take of Christ and eat. So Calvin says this, For faith does not look at Christ only at a distance, but embraces Him that He may become ours and may dwell in us. It causes us to be incorporated with Him, to have life in common with Him, and in short, to become one with Him. So, feeding and bread, all of these pictures speak of our weakness, Christ's life-giving power, our faith, and then fourthly, Christ Himself. Especially as we will see, and we will be going in just a few minutes, to John chapter 6, where the Lord Jesus says, I am the bread of life. See, Christ is saying, I Myself. Not, not My works are the bread of life. Not My teachings are the bread of life. Uh, of course, all His works, all, all His teachings are connected to who He is, but He is saying, I myself as God and man the person of Christ is bread so when we think of Christ as bread we are truly focusing first and foremost in him in him as a person in him and what and not necessarily what flows from him but him primarily the person of Christ more than the blessings of Christ. And the reason I emphasize this is because this is exactly what Jesus was telling that crowd. After the miracle, they all flow after him because they want more of the miracle. They want more of the bread that perishes. And you may want him because you want the forgiveness and you want him because you want the communion. You want him because you want those blessings of feeling good that you're with him. But we need to start with desiring Him first and foremost. It, be, it can become a selfish reality of your spiritual pursuit if you don't start there. That you're desiring Him. And, and one who says this very well is Spurgeon. Let me read a little portion from a sermon. He says, He is the center and soul of all. There is a tendency of us all, uh, about us all to get away from Jesus and to look rather to the streams than to the fountainhead. Why are we more taken up with bits of glass that sparkle in the light than with the sun himself, that tree of life in that midst of the paradise of God? We forget to eat of that and we wander to the borders of the garden to pluck the fruit of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We may find certain minor things apart from him, Flavoring ornaments and furniture of the table we may get from some other hand. But the bread, the real solid meat, the essence of the festival is Christ Himself. And this is perhaps the most important thing when we think of the picture of bread. I am the bread of life. So you are to desire and feed upon him now the fifth thing that is very emphatic is that the picture of Christ as bread and the picture of feeding is this reality that Christ is to be trusted because that's what feeding upon him is is to be trusted by all and to be doubted by none what, what do I mean when I say this? I'm thinking of bread by its very nature. Every culture, every society, and every age has only made bread for the purpose of eating. It's, it's unheard of. And you would be seen as out of your mind if you're just making bread for decoration. Yes, maybe when we make plastic bread, and, and, and there can be decorations of bread, but those aren't breads meant for eating. If you make bread with flour and leaven and some salt and some eggs and whatever recipe you follow, you make it for eating. It is, it is the nature of bread to be had. And when it's stale, you throw it away. You, you don't make bread in order for it to turn stale. And even if you want it to then be toasted and ground so that you can use the bread crumbs, you're still going to eat them. So the very nature of bread calls for eating. And when Christ says, I am the bread of life, He is emphasizing this. I am the bread of life. I am meant to be trusted. I I am meant to be taken and eaten. Not to be looked upon, not to be wondered, not to be suspected if you are to take me or no. That is what bread is for. It is for eating. It is for taking. The whole concept of wondering if you have a right to take Christ, the very notion that that one may steal Christ, you need to understand that is not in the Bible. Nowhere to be found. And I understand what it means. It speaks of someone who presumes to be saved. But see, you have to understand that the person who presumes to be saved, he is unsaved, so he's never taken Christ. It's impossible to steal Christ. And if you are to take Him and eat Him, then it means you'll be saved. If you really did. See, the false believer has never stolen Christ. He has nothing to do with Christ. He thinks he's saved, but he's never tasted of Christ. Bread is to be eaten, and Christ is to be trusted. And so these are, these are the things that come to our mind first and foremost. And now before we go to our second point, I do have a couple things to say about this picture that are limited. It is a picture. It's not the essence. Christ is the essence. Bread is the picture. This is the first limitation. Bread does not initiate life. Um, it's interesting, you read sermons of Spurgeon on... On the Lord's Supper and when Christ says, I'm the bread of life. He uses this in several sermons where he says you can take a piece of bread and put it before a dead body. That bread will not give life to that body because that body will not eat that bread. And that's in essence what Calvin is meaning in terms of how you need to have faith to even reach out to Christ. Real bread in this world does not give life to those who have none. But Jesus does. And it's very possible that as we will go in just a few minutes to, to John 6, where Jesus says that he is the bread of life, in his going back and forth and how he speaks of him as the bread of heaven, he also says, I am the living bread. So see, a bread that you put before someone who has no life cannot give life because that bread also is, in a sense, dead. It's not a living thing. It's it's just bread. It's inanimate. But Jesus, He can give life to one who is spiritually dead. And even as you may be here in church or close to the sacrament and hearing that we're going to celebrate Christ and you're hearing the sermon and you may begin that service spiritually dead, but then as you hear of Christ who is this living bread and the moment you believe in Him and your soul reaches out to Christ and says, I take this Christ by faith and I need Him or I die. Well, that instant, that living bread gave life to your soul. Physical bread can't do that. That's a limitation in the pictures. You you understand then what I mean. But Christ can. Because He's living bread. Then another thing that is a limitation. Is that for our physical life. We need of course more than bread. Um, We we need a variety of nutrients to keep us healthy. But Christ. In and of Himself. Himself. He alone is what you and I need. Some people apply apply to Christ this imperfection of of the symbol. They look at bread and say, well, bread is not enough. I need more nutrients. And there are many Christians saying, Christ, okay, yeah, Christ is a central part. But why don't we emphasize all these other things as well and, and compete almost as it were with Christ. Or they add to Christ. Christ is a full satisfied meal he'll provide everything that you need and then a third limitation and the last one is that bread not only it cannot give life to those who don't have it it cannot maintain your life perpetually that's even what Jesus told those people when they told Jesus and gave him the idea to produce manna now and will follow you Jesus said you need to understand that when our fathers ate manna they all died That manna did not have the power, even that manna that came from heaven did not have the power to give indefinite life. And and the bread that we eat in this world can't do that either. And then this is the blessing, but Christ can. When you trust the Lord Jesus as the bread of life, you will live perpetually. You will live forever. You will be born again. And so we saw how God's Word pervades with this picture of feeding. We saw some elements that come to our minds when we think of feeding and Christ as the bread, and a few little limitations of the picture, because the pictures are never the essence. The essence is always greater. But now, secondly, let's go to the promise of feeding. And the the reason I put as the promise of feeding, if you were to, at this moment, um, open... In the back of our Psalters, in Lord's Day 28, Question 77 starts, this is page 58, sorry. 58, question 77, where we left off in the article that starts, The Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where has Christ promised that He will as certainly feed and nourish believers with His body and blood. And before we even read this answer, this will be the second part of this point, the Lord's Supper. I want to bring before that another moment where Jesus did promise that through His body, through His flesh and through His blood, you can have life. And this is where I bring us To John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. I won't be reading all these portions, but chapter 5 is where Jesus does that amazing miracle. Boys and girls, here's an illustration for you directly from God's Word. Remember, all those people were there. It was more than 5,000 people. Those were the men that they counted. There were children. There were women together. Some estimate this could have been even more than 10,000 people. And Jesus saw that it was getting later in the day, and if they were to walk home, they would, they would faint and be tired. And the eighth, where he puts it in the negative, is verse 53. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Seven hide themselves, thinking, where will we find food to feed all these people? He asks what they have. They had some bread and some fish, and the Lord Jesus asked for that. He thanked the Lord for it and began to part it and divide it. And somewhere along the line, either in his parting and putting it into the baskets, and there it multiplied, or as they're pulling from the baskets, they're thinking it will be the last part, but there's more. There's this miracle where there's even leftover. And these thousands of people eat bread and fish to the full. And they get baskets back for leftover. That was chapter 5. And then chapter 6, those people find Jesus. They are astonished still by the miracle and yes, in their hearts, they're thinking very, very um, in terms of experience. And they're liking that they ate the day before in a miraculous way. And they're pursuing christ thinking that he could be the messiah the king but they're thinking of an earthly kingdom they're really with their minds when when they give the suggestion to jesus in chapter six verse 31 our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat they were literally um suggesting to jesus you know just start that miracle all over again and now just not for 40 years but for the rest of our lives and we will certainly follow and believe you as the messiah And it's in the course of that message in verse 35 that Jesus says His first I am statement of the seven I am statements in the book of John. He said, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That's promise number one. In the course of this discourse, he will give, in essence, seven promises that if you trust him, if you come to him, you will live forever. And one of the promises, he puts it in the negative, that if you don't, you will die. Let me read each one of them. That's verse 35, and then look at verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me... And by now he already established that to come to him is to eat of him. So that where you see a promise of coming, it is implying the eating. Because that's what eating means. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For how long will this last? Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me... That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's for how long He will never cast you out. It's, it's forever. And then you go to verse 47, that's the fourth time. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 50, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die promise number 5 and then you go to verse 51 I am the living bread which came down from heaven if any man eat of this bread he shall live forever and the bread that I give is my flesh which I will give for life for the life of the world that's the sixth time and the seventh is in verse 54 Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And the eighth, where he puts it in the negative, is verse 53. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, Ye have no life in you. Seven positive promises and one showing in a negative way what will happen if you don't eat of Christ. So this is what I mean by the promise that He will feed you and you will live forever if you eat of Him after the miracle in John 6. Do you hunger for Jesus? This is a good point, a good moment for this application Do you hunger for Christ? Do you desire Him? To know Him? To have communion with Him? To pray to Him? To learn of Him so that you can be like Him? Does your soul know of any such desire? And not just some desire for Christ, but for a vital desire for Him. A desire as unto life. And you know, boys and girls, and young people, just think of a moment that you haven't eaten for a long time and that, that yearning that comes to your mind when you hear that it's time to sit at the table. And, and you know those feelings that you have. You have those feelings of instant joy that it's time to eat. You, you have that desire to eat and you sit at the table and, and the Cravings begin, and you, you, you have that mouth watering experience. Well, what are, that is the, the hunger for food. And God does express with all this that we should transport that into the spiritual realm and have a greater hunger for Christ, a greater hunger for the Word. Because man shall not live by bread, but by the Word of God because you can sit at meals and eat three meals a day, but one day we die. The meals that we eat in this world do not feed our souls, but Christ does. And even if we die, we shall arise and be in heaven forever. If you don't hunger for Christ, it means you're spiritually dead. You're without these promises to your heart and to your soul. You're in great danger. Your soul is thirsty and it is hungry. And you're seeking after things to satisfy that hunger and that thirst. And unless you come to Christ to feed upon Him, that hunger will never satisfy. And you'll never really be full. Now let me go to the promise... In the Lord's Supper itself. So now, let me read um, question 77, the, the answer. So where has Christ promised that He will as certainly feed and nourish believers with His body and blood as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? And the answer is basically from, from every place in the Bible where the institution of the Lord's Supper is described. So in the institution of the Lord's Supper, which is thus expressed, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. This promise is repeated by the holy apostle Paul, where he says in 1 Corinthians 11, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers. Of that one bread. 1 Corinthians 10. And so the promise. Is not only after that miracle. In John 6. It is also. When Christ instituted. The Lord's Supper. The promise is that if you. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You shall be saved. And when you are saved. The promise is. If you. Continue to believe in the Lord Jesus. He will continue to sustain you. And to provide for you. And care for you. And this is what we're doing when we come to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not to tell us that this is like the moment that we're being saved. No, and and this is where we put in what Calvin does say. It, It is an expression of our faith. That we come around the table... And we take of that bread. And we take of that wine. And with all that, that, we, that we had from God's Word this afternoon in terms of how God feeds us, how He provides for us, how our souls should be yearning and desiring, this is what we're applying at the Lord's Supper. We, we are saying, Lord, I desire Christ. I need Christ. I need His benefits. I need His blessings. And most of all, I need His person. I need His very being. And you're fed. And you're provided for. And you're blessed. So the promise. We've seen also the picture. And now thirdly and lastly. The fulfillment of feeding. We are fed when we believe. In essence I've I've already said this. But I want to just emphasize this reality. Because... It can happen individually in a heart where you have this confused. And we can't minimize this danger. Because for a great part of the history of the church. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was this inverse way of seeing what these pictures are. In essence the pictures became received by believers. In the years at least the years a thousand or all the way to 1,500 with a thought that was very literal. And even in the days of the Reformation, there were men like Luther who still insisted with the thought, but wait, he does say this is my body. And he couldn't stay away from the reality that it is a symbol and that Christ is speaking metaphorically. And a great section of the Christian church to this very day, when they take that bread and when they take that wine, they really believe it's the body and the blood of Jesus. That that is not how the feeding is fulfilled. You are not fed by Christ by eating the bread as if that is Jesus. Many people believe that. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The very fact that Jesus, before He even died, He spoke of eating His flesh, shows that. He wasn't speaking physically, uh, literally. He wasn't speaking in a, in a physical way, in a materialistic way. It was a spiritual way of speaking. It was a metaphorical way of speaking. How is it fulfilled then? We need to understand this very clearly. It is By faith. Trusting in Jesus. Is taking him. In a spiritual way. And the reason of course that it becomes hard. Is because this is spoken of metaphorically. In such absolute terms. That of course some of our minds can think. Is this literally? And so we have to be told again and again. No it's spiritually. And if you go to Lord's Day 20 um, 29, uh, basically the two questions there are emphasizing this very reality. So this is page 60, and I want to read Lord's Day 29, question 78. Do then the bread and wine become the very body and blood of Christ? Not at all. But as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, neither is the washing away of sin itself being only a sign and confirmation thereof appointed of God, so the bread in the Lord's Supper is not changed into the very body of Christ. Though Though agreeably to the nature and properties of sacraments, it is called the body of Christ, Jesus, because that is what it points to. And then the next question completes the thought why then does christ call the bread of his body the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood and paul the communion of the body and blood of christ Christ speaks thus, not without great reason, namely, not only thereby to teach us that as bread and wine support this temporal life, so His crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink, whereby our souls are fed to eternal life, but more especially by these visible signs and pledges to assure us that we are, as really partakers of His true body and blood, by the operation of the Holy Ghost, as we receive by the mouths of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of Him, and that all His sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had in our own persons suffered and made satisfaction for our sins to God. So, what God is doing in the Lord's Supper is He's given us something that is physical, that is visible, that we can touch. And that we can taste. He is making use in essence of every um, sensory qualities that we have. And even to smell to communicate that which we started our sermon with. When we, when we read the array of realities where God is saying that He will feed His people, how He created in this world enough food for us, and He's a God who provides everything that we need. He is intensifying and showing us how truly He means this in the greatest of ways by sending His Son, who is a sacrifice for sin, but He's also bread that we may eat. And his blood that was shed is so truly shed for us that he's given us an ordinance where we literally partake of that wine, remembering his blood. He is, like the catechism says, he just as certain as it is that I take that bread and eat it, and I take that wine and drink it. See, that is a real thing, that is very literal. But then you transport it to the spiritual. Well then truly in the spiritual realm. Christ is mine. His body and His blood. He died on the cross for me. He shed His blood for me. This is a piece of bread that I will eat. I share it with other people. But this little piece I will eat. And Christ is saying I died for you. This little portion of the wine I will drink. And it is Christ saying, I shed my blood for you. He's taking all of those pictures that are are all pervading Scripture. Of His love in feeding and caring. And He's putting it into one of the ordinances. Where we are literally fed and nourished. Physically. Physically. And then we would say literally fed and nourished spiritually. Because I'm speaking of a spiritual feeding. It is literal. He really does feed us. And He will do so forever. This is the last thought. We're talking about how is this feeding fulfilled. It is not by the mere touching it and eating it. There, there are a lot of people who eat the bread and drink the wine and they do not taste Christ because they're still dead in their sins. And that bread and that wine will not give you life. And again, don't minimize this. There are many people who say they're Christians today who believe that that's how you become a Christian. You just do everything the church provides. You go to the baptism. You go to the confession. You keep taking the Lord's Supper and then... You're hoping that you'll be saved. None of these ordinances have power to save you. It is all by faith. That's how it is fulfilled. But then when we have the word fulfilled in our minds, we turn back where we began, where Jesus is there instituting the Lord's Supper. And did you notice, this is in all of the records where Christ institutes the Lord's Supper. He says that He will no more eat thereof until it be fulfilled. He brings that word fulfilled. In the kingdom of God. And then he says, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So what this means is that there's more eating and drinking to look forward to. And here... We, we know that God's Word is speaking in figurative ways, but our minds, because we don't understand how heaven will be in all of its details and exactness, there may be physical eating as well involved in what God says. So He says there will be a fulfillment of all this eating and partaking. And I just want to end with, with a passage of God's Word, a little quote, and then a little illustration. The passage is Revelation 19. That's where the invitation is sent forth for the wedding of the Lamb. Revelation 19.7 Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb that is come and His wife hath made herself ready. Now as marriages don't just happen and we all go home, In verse 9, we read the continuation, And He saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And what is God doing? He's getting the one event in life. I I would venture to say and i don't believe this would be an exaggeration if you think of the moments in our lives in which hearts are filled with joy and filled with gratitude especially the family more surrounding the bride and the bridegroom the happiness the loving expectations is to be found in a wedding and you celebrate that wedding at the feast a banquet And God is inviting us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The picture there is that all of heaven will be this eternal banqueting. Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He's saying, there I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you, my bride, with the church. So all those who hunger for Christ today... Will be able to eat of Christ and with Christ for all of eternity. That's the fulfillment of the feeding. I want to read a quote, um, another quote from Spurgeon. He said, Oh, live near the cross, build your houses on Calvary. Frequent Gethsemane. Listen to the groans of your pleading Lord. Be much with a dying Christ. Be much with a risen Christ. Be much with a reigning Christ. Be much in anticipation of a coming Christ. For the more you are with Him, the more will your soul be filled with satisfaction. This is how we're feeding Christ and influence to sanctification he shall satiate your soul as with marrow and with fatness and your mouth shall praise him with joyful lips for he can say and none other I am the bread of life receive him and you shall find it so Christ do you hunger for Christ I ask again in closing that should be your hunger And Christ will fill that quest. You will hunger for more of Christ. And it's a blessed hunger. It is a hunger that is not wrong to want more of Christ. And you'll feel satisfied the more Christ you have. And I want to end with this little... Um, illustration from Dr. Andrew Bonar He, he was speaking about how the sheep in the highlands of Scotland they had this habit to wander off into the rocks and get into places that they couldn't get back out of in these places they would find grass that was very sweet and the sheep liked it and they would even jump 10 to 12 feet to arrive at that sweet green grass but they couldn't jump back up And the shepherd would hear them bleeding in distress. And they would stay there sometimes for days. Until they had eaten all the grass. And the shepherd would be waiting until they were faint and couldn't even walk. And when somebody asked Dr. Andrew Bonar, Why wouldn't the shepherd go there earlier to bring them out? And Bonar said, Why? Because, well, because with their strength, They would dash right over the precipice and be killed. We have to wait till they're too tired. And they would right, tie a rope around themselves. They would go down, tie the sheep, and bring them back out. And that is how you and I are. That is the way with men. They won't go back to God till they have eaten everything of this world and realize it does not fill them. They have now no more friends, they've lost everything. And then they'll go with the shepherd. Every soul who is not yet hungry for Christ is because they are still having their fill of this world. And if you are in that pursuit, let me tell you, this world will never fill you. You may lose everything. But I pray that even just a simple sermon as this can bring a holy hunger and thirst. And you may look to the Lord and say, Lord, I am a lamb who is faint. Take me to the green pastures of Psalm 23. Take me to the still waters. I'm ready. Save me. Forgive me. And Christ will provide. And beloved, all this food... That we've been speaking of. All this nurture. What is it that you bring in your hands to pay for? We live in the world that you can't just come and get food for free. You need something. There's a price and you need money. I've been speaking this whole sermon about food. Here too is a limitation to this figure. You can't get food without money. But this food, you can't come with money. The hard thing is to convince people to understand that you pay no money. It is without money and without price. And we had that sermon a couple Sundays ago, Isaiah 55. So I end this sermon alluding to that one, all that I've been speaking of. You come with empty hands and say, Lord, I need this living bread. Or I die. And if you're a believer, say, Lord, this is the bread that gives me life. I want to keep eating. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, we do thank Thee for having condescended, Lord Jesus, to our needs, To call thyself bread, to humble thyself into an emblem that is to be consumed, but also an emblem that would be broken. For on the cross, we see, as it were, the crumbs, and we see the blood being shed. Lord, thou art so humble and so gracious. Not to give just a portion of who Thou art, but all of who Thou art. Lord, we pray that we would understand that there is nothing in this world who can satisfy our hunger, but Jesus, help us to come and help us to stay. Lord, if there are those without Christ and alone, without God in the world, Lord, open their mouths wide that they may receive of Christ even today. That their soul would trust the Lord Jesus. And so eat of Him and drink His blood. We speak in such literal ways. We know Lord it is spiritual. It's been so set clear before us in Thy Word. Lord let none be offended like those people who were and stopped following Jesus. When He spoke of eating His flesh and drinking His blood. But Lord we pray that it would just bring souls to Jesus. And that they would now, with life in Christ, live unto Christ. We pray all these things for the glory of Thy holy name. In Jesus' name, Amen.